all the statistics would show that cocaine use is spread widely across Ireland and, you know, it has an effect on the social fabric of the country. It can happen to anybody, it can come to anybody's door, like, you know, you might get the first blast for nothing, you'll come back for the, by the second, you'll run up in debt, you'll see someone selling a tractor or, or doing anything to clear off the debt. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The Ploughing Championships are an annual highlight in the calendar for those living in rural Ireland who work the land and who don their wellies for the biggest outdoor get-together in Europe. This week, Crime World travelled to the event to discuss one of the biggest issues for communities all over the country, how cocaine use is changing the face of rural Ireland. Sunday World Deputy Editor Niall Donald and I took to the stage at the Irish Independent Tent to chat about the threat to rural towns and villages from the growing market of coke users and how large-scale dealers are now firmly embedded in every corner of Ireland. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Nile, we're here at the ploughing and we've an observation to make before we get going because today we're going to talk about cocaine and its influence and effects on communities in rural Ireland. So what I wanted to ask you first of all was if you were a cocaine user, would you be taking it off the back of the loose here? No, I think the, uh, the porter cabins in, in, in the ploughing wouldn't be the perfect place. Uh, yeah, they weren't in great great condition. They wouldn't have been the cleanest and I also didn't see a cistern because of course that's where a lot of people do take cocaine. Now before we get into the the dirty details of, of this topic, I also just want you to tell the little story about what happened to you <laughs> at the port Well I wa- yes, I was, I was in the port as probably many people have been uh, queuing up and uh, um, I came across a, a door with a green, a green sign, <laughs> opened it up and there was a, a woman sitting there who straight away apologised to me, proving a real Irish uh, uh, mummy attitude. Yeah. But uh, no, it's great to be down here. Um, Sunday World have been down here for many, many years. And, um, you know, to, to, to talk about... We used to bring the late Jimmy McGee down and we had to bring him through the fields right up to the, uh, to the door. Um, so we're going to talk about today the... Uh, how cocaine is now readily available all across the country. There was a time when users of drugs would have had to get in a car or on a train and make their way up to a more urban setting to buy their drugs, um, which slowed the usage of it, really. In other words, they had to think about what they were doing and what they wanted to buy. But now it seems, and we're hearing it all the time, and we're seeing it through court stories and through the Criminal Assets Bureau activities, that it is literally available in every pub, in every small town. Yeah, I mean, probably the, one of the most dramatic changes about uh, the drugs trade in Ireland has been how it's spread outside cities. I mean, both of us are qualify as veteran reporters, probably oh, at this I stage. Um, but it's just you. <laughs> but when we... When I would have started off as a reporter, um, drugs crime really was focused in, in inner city Dublin for the most part. Um, 
you know, but that has dramatically changed over time. Uh, you know, all the statistics would show that cocaine use is spread widely across Ireland. Um, and, you know, it has an effect on the social fabric of the country. Um, the recent statistics were, I think the most recent statistics for cocaine use were that young men between the age of 19 and 35, in 2000, about 2% of young men of that age group would have used cocaine. It's now up to something like 10%. And, you know, every, everybody will know um, the reality that drugs have moved across rural, rural Ireland and have had an impact in, in uh, a complex impact across the board. Mm. What are your concerns about crime in rural Ireland? Well, I'm obviously very concerned and worried about uh, the older people, the elderly, the people that, that um, you plough the furrow for so long and like they, they're absolutely terrified in their homes. Like if a knock, knock comes on the door of a cat or a crow is on the roof, like they're fearing the worst. And, and the people that are doing these things there, like they, they will... They will, they will hurt people and they'll put the fear of God in Their lives are never the same again after an attack or a break-in. And is that, do you know somebody personally who is, or anyone that you know, has been through something like that? Yeah, I do. And, uh, and they've never trusted anybody again. Like, you know, the, I've seen symptoms there. You know, they said that they wet the bed, they're all shaking, their ner the nerves are, are completely gone. They just don't trust society anymore. And if you knock on the door, they won't let you in. All you'll see is their eye coming out to the doors, awful, awful, at least the remnants are awful. And where about are you from? I'm from a place called Stradbally in County Leash. Okay. And tell us then, would you have any concerns or do you think in the in the local area there'd be concerns about cocaine? Cocaine use or? Oh yeah, that's rampant, sir. That's, that's in every nook and cranny in Ireland. Yeah. Oh, no, that, that's rampant, yeah. And do you think it's changed the town? Does it change the atmosphere of the town? Oh, absolutely. And it changed from what was once brilliant families. So unfortunately tarnished because it can happen to anybody it can come to anybody's door like you know you know you get you might get the first blast for nothing you'll come back for the by the second you'll run up a debt you'll see someone selling a tractor or, or doing anything to clear off the debt and the you know the child could be worried but it could be oh thanks very much I, I'm finished up with it but they're not finished because you just like you won't give up cigarettes so you're hardly going to give up cocaine. Now I suppose before we go on any further, we'll just go back to talk about where cocaine comes from, what the markup on it is, and why so many people want to get into the business, because it's all about the money. And cocaine starts out life as a leaf on a tree, the coca tree, which grows high up in the Colombian mountains. And there some very poor farmers harvest it. Um, it takes 125 kilos of these leaves to make it down to be processed into one kilo of cocaine paste, which is further pro processed into one kilo of cocaine powder. Now, at that point, the powder is worth between $2,000 and $7,000, which is pretty much the same as euros, so that's where it starts. By the time it makes its way down the hills from Colombia to the ports, it travels east to West Africa and up into Europe and makes its way to Ireland, it's worth 70000 so that's a 500 uh, times markup on, you know, where it started. So I don't think any other product in the world makes that kind of money. Um, and really, Niall, I think when we look at the last 20, 30 years and the involvement of organised crime in Ireland, we have to put the blame 
a little bit on the Kinahan organisation when it comes to cocaine being available in a pub in, in the Midlands? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think there was... What happened with the, the drugs trade in Ireland was, you know, dr in the 80s, the drugs trade was really limited to um, maybe college students and people in the inner city. Um, but during the 90s, you had the, the, I suppose, what became known as the ecstasy generation, um, people going to clubs, to nightclubs, going to raves, taking ecstasy, and it just caused a, a massive, massive boom in the drug trade across Ireland. Um, and at that point, the, the, the people, people like Daniel Kinahan were in their early 20s, they were young men, and all of a sudden they went from, from being, you know, living hand to mouth to some extent, to all of a sudden making thousands of pounds a week uh, feeding that trade. Um, initially that was focused in Dublin as well, but very quickly, uh, in, a, in a rap, really quite, what is a really uh, a monumental shift, though that drugs trade started to move down the country. And what you have now is, um, you know, there's a rural drug trade controlled by a, a small number of people who are really affiliates of the Kinnan Organised Crime Group. Um, they're nearly all in their sort of late 40s, maybe in or around that age anyway. And some of them um, have become multimillionaires feeding sections of the country. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's a, a boom business like no other, really. Stuff being taken off farms, basically, yeah. Dad's yeah. going around taking stuff off farms. And you can't, you can't catch them. They're too they're late at night. That's the biggest problem. And what about the area you're living in? Is there many guards? Not really. The nearest guard station would be in Escorty itself. We'd be Davidstown. So it'd be about five, six miles outside it. But there wouldn't be a great presence of guards around the countryside since all the, they were all closed down that time, remember? So that's the problem. There's not enough uh, guarding going around the countryside. They're always around when you don't want them. And I mean, some of the counties in particular we can identify as I suppose having a Kinahan almost subcell in them would be the likes of Sligo, certainly. And that feeds into the into the northwest. Yeah, so I mean, we saw in Sligo, I suppose, was uh, in, in, in the 2000s, you had a, a, a drugs gang in Finglas that was controlled by a guy called Marlow Highland, and his, then he, he was shot dead and was controlled by his successor called Eamon de Don Dunn. But what they had was um, a franchise in, 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 in Sligo and in, in that part of, the, uh, part of Mayo areas like that. Um, that they were directly feeding drugs and weapons to these guys. Um, those guys then controlled the territory. Um, they had, while I wouldn't say sophisticated, they had a, a network of people to, to, to move these drugs into, into what was, you know, towns across that area. And all of a sudden you had, um, well, probably quite gradually, you had an explosion of money, you had, and then you had feuds beginning. And that, that really was the model that has gone around Ireland now. You had other people in, in, in the Galway area, a guy called Patrick Pa Rabbit, who was, became one of the most successful drug dealers in the, in the, in the country. And he was closely associated with, a, with, a, with another drug dealer in Dublin called Micah Kelly. And they, they these guys, uh, it was like, you know, founding a McDonald's in the area, really. Yeah, you know, it was like a franchise. And the impact of that, I think, I think people 
everybody will recognise that that has had a huge impact in, in, in parts of, across Ireland. I often get calls or emails or messages, whichever way, from people uh, in towns in rural Ireland. And they're able to tell me who the local drug dealer is, exactly, you know, how much they're making and who they're selling to. Um, and they do question, well, if they know that, why aren't the guards doing something? And people always have this, and why can't we write something about them? Of course, we're in a position that we can really, realistically, only write about people who have already got convictions. Uh, we're very constrained legally what we can write and who we can expose. But the question remains, like, is there the Garda sort of resources within smaller rural communities to police these drug dealers before they get too big and too powerful to be handled by the law? Well, I mean, I think there is a, a shortage of Garda resources everywhere. I mean, I think people recognise that. Um, certainly people feel the absence of Garda on the ground. Uh, this is an issue that, you know, constantly appears when people talk about policing in, in rural Ireland. Um, but I think for us, um, and you know, I work on the news desk most days in the Sunday world, and a lot of the calls we get um, when it comes to rural crime are to do with uh, intimidation and deaths. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the constant, uh, you know, we get parents calling us up saying, my son owes, what's in the scheme of things is, is when you're talking about Daniel Kinnan and millions and you're talking about people ringing up saying, my family are, somebody has come on and said, my family owe five grand, my son lost drugs or whatever, they were seized. And, you know, the reality is that, that those debts and the, the attempted collection of them have spread a kind of a, a fear mm. um, and that impacts on people going to the police. It's just, it's just a fact of life. And I mean, most of the, the most heartbreaking stories, and I, I remember going down and dealing one in, in County Clare, where you had a, a, a young man who probably had uh, mental health difficulties, ended up losing something like uh, uh, some proportion of drugs, and then had somebody call to the door and demand £10,000 from his mother, and they were mortgaging uh, a field to pay it off. So that's, that's the kind of fear that... You see, the drugs trade is a complex thing, yeah. you know, that people... Obviously, people can... You have casual drug users and, and you know... Who are we to judge? Maybe to some extent, but it's it's I suppose the the impact of of cocaine in particular, and the massive amounts of money that are associated with that, um, this can lead to a kind of a, a breakdown in that social fabric in in areas where mm. where these these debts are there. Um, the other complex part of it, I suppose, is that the policing of it is not simple. No, um, it's not a simple. It's very expensive as well to actually police a drug gang. You have to literally get down and dirty with them. It's surveillance, it's bugging, it's very, you know, you know, it takes a lot of time, it's extremely costly. And everybody has a budget, even the Gardaí, you know, so yeah, they I mean, there's no point to, who to police as such. Yeah, and you get you get people uh, coming in and out of district courts constantly with with really really small amounts of drugs, and these are the guys that are getting prosecuted. But in order to catch people a bit higher up the ladder, as you said, it requires, um, um, you know, it requires surveillance. It requires maybe people uh, becoming witnesses, which is you know expensive and and, and also you know complicated to achieve. So that's, I mean, you know, that's 
probably the big impact of, of, of the drugs trade of, and of the cocaine trade in particular in rural, rural Ireland. I mean, the idea of a, of a gangland shooting um, outside of Dublin was unheard of at one point. Now, they're, they're still mostly concentrated in Dublin, and, but, you know, there are constant, um, you know, people will read it all the time, windows shot in, you know. There's been murders outside Dublin, gangland murders, very significant ones in recent years. And I think really, you know, to focus people from rural communities on the scale of the problem and how it can grow, we need to look at Drogheda and what happened there. And Drogheda is a commuter town to Dublin. It's big. I think its population is 100,000, which is probably the same size as Limerick. But nonetheless, a feud between two rival gangs who were vying for the cocaine market broke out. And it had the most devastating consequences which were reported, not only across Ireland, but across the world. Um, especially when a young teenage boy was abducted, murdered, uh, tortured before he was murdered, then dismembered, and his limbs were left around housing estates. Now, that didn't happen in Mexico. That happened in Ireland in a rural community. And really, that is, you know, the limit of what can occur. Yeah, so, I mean, while the two gangs in Drogheda that, that fought that feud were you know, had certainly had ties and there was people from, from Dublin involved. What really what you had was um, a group of young men who were in their mostly, for the most part, in their early 20s. I mean, very, very young guys very young, yeah. who became involved in the drugs trade and all of a sudden, instead of, you know, having a few quid in their pockets, they were talking about tens, tens of thousands. They were buying fancy cars. You know, these were guys, really, really young men. Um, and what they did was, I mean, obviously we don't use this term a lot, but you see it in English media, it was really a county lines, is what they call it in England, where, where you have um, a, a kind of a franchise in a certain area of the country, and they, they, they control that franchise, and they're allowed to do that by the, by the bigger drug gangs, if you want. So what happened in, in Drogheda was um, that you had young guys with access, I mean, certainly access to, to, to very significant criminal figures, but also access to weapons. Um, they had, uh, the, the police, I think it's fair to say, were unprepared for the level of violence that erupted. I mean, it's just as simple as that. I mean, these guys, a couple of years before, they were arresting them for having a, you know, an, an ounce of hash, and within a couple of years, they were carrying guns and, and dealing in hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of cocaine. Um, and, you know, to, to, because they, they weren't, you know, do you remember the old Larry Dustin Carey? That yeah. was the, the a famous drug dealer called Larry Dunn who introduced heroin to, to, to Dublin. But what happened to these guys is they wouldn't be caught next to the actual product. So they just had a lot of young addicts really running around for them. Um, and they were uncatchable by the Gardaí at that point who didn't have the resources to, to break down a, a criminal organisation. And these gangs are proper organisations. So you had a, an eruption of violence and, you know, obviously the, the, the key Mulready Woods' uh, murder, I think, is, is without a doubt the most shocking in the history of gangland in there's, Ireland. There's absolutely no doubt. And there's the trials coming up, but they're in the special criminal court um, and we will be covering them, I think, in depth on Crime World when it happens because they are, it is just such a significant story. Well, I think there's a lot more crime in the cities. 
Do you think so? Oh Lord, I do, yes. And do you have any concerns about any specific crimes that are happening in the area? I think uh, elderly people feeling unsafe in their own homes is a disgrace. Mm. I think small children being, being murdered by their parents in their own home is appalling. And uh, there's something wrong. There's definitely something wrong. And the disregard for human life that's beginning to happen is very troubling. And it starts, I suppose, with small children being taught respect for themselves, their parents and the people around them. And it, it builds, well, it's a kind of a building block. And we can have all the programmes we like in schools, but if they don't see it happening at home, it's not going to happen. So I'd be, I'd be deeply troubled by really children being murdered by their parents, elderly people being attacked. Children, like I remember hearing from somebody one time, the measure of a society is how it deals and treats its most vulnerable people. It's older people and their children. And um, what's going on here is troubling, definitely. And do you think that there is a drug problem in the local area in Kilkenny at all? There's a drug problem every place. And people with drugs, their job is to sell them. And there's a whole group of people there at the top who intimidate the people who are further down. And uh, it must be an awful worry to parents, you know, when they see their children involved in these ne'er-do-well people, let's put it that way. Um, I don't know what I would do if I was a parent and I had a child involved in some of this stuff. You know, it must be a nightmare because parents are doing their best. There are some wonderful places, wonderful people, but sometimes it looks like the bad guys are winning. That's what it looks like. You talk about drug dealers coming up and they're making money. They're making a hell of a lot of money and you can see why to young people it is tempting. Um, maybe 10 years ago, I remember speaking to a guy who was working the landings in a very, uh, sort of very drugs black spot area, Dublin. And he was tell I was saying to him, like, how much can you earn? He said, well, it depends how hard I work. So he was talking about between pocketing, you know, uh, in pure profit, and it's cash, obviously, you don't pay anything to the tax man, between two and 4,000 a day, a day. I wouldn't even know where to put it. Um, or what to do with it, but that's the kind of money, and it's so tempting to the younger people, but my guy there that I'm talking about, and he's, a t he's typical, because he moves from dealing on the streets or on the landings very quickly to becoming a wholesaler, because he doesn't want to be there anymore, he's too rich, so he's able to buy a bigger amount of product and put younger people to work, and he moves up the ranks very, very quickly. So, from a rural community point of view, what you have is a drug dealer, you're seeing him get a little bit flash, all of a sudden, he's hands off. And then he became, becomes even more difficult to police because all his dirty work, he's going to get the younger teenagers in the town to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, the problem, the problem it, it, what goes with, with young men having a lot of money, uh, it's probably no different than young men, uh, property developers <laughs> or young, young bankers. Uh, it doesn't bring out the best no. in young men having a big wedge of cash. And that's, that's just a fact. But the problem is that, um, you know, you have these, you know, some, if, if you go back to the Limerick feud, which was a really, really, uh, you know, a very, very violent outbreak. It, it is a combustible situation. And what happened in Limerick, um, really, it was 
as everybody will know, the Dundon, the McCarthy gang, the Colopy, the Keane gang, and it went on for over a decade and there was up to 18 murders. And, you know, by all accounts, what, what sparked that was a, a minor row mm. at a school. Yeah. Um, nothing more than that. But what happens then when you have, you know, people with guns, with, with money, and with, with that sense of that machismo, I suppose, um, uh, that, that th- these little things tend to spark major, major feuds. And that, that is the, obviously the risk. And if you're looking at it from, from how, co- like the title, how cocaine is changing rural Ireland, um, you know, there's the, I think that, that injection of the potential for violence uh, within communities, that's what the drug trade brings. Look, there's people, you know, that's, the, you know, it's not every community all the time, but that, that is the danger of the drug trade and, and why, you know, it must be policed as well. Um, obviously, there's the, there, there's the other side, which is the victims of, of, of drug use, which people will see across c- cities and towns, you know, young people getting chronically addicted, having their lives ruined, the impact on their families. And that also has to be addressed. Not, that's not a policing issue. That's a, yeah. an issue that has to be dealt with uh, as, a, as a medical problem, you know. And I also feel that there's, you know, we, we don't talk enough about the disconnect we all have between that line of cocaine and where the money you pay for it is going because it's going straight into the pockets of the big drug overlords who are ordering a lot of murders on the street, etc., etc. And like, if you actually had to hand it directly to them, you'd wonder, would you? Um, but I do think that we have a slight disconnect. I think people just, you know, take cocaine, particularly middle class people take cocaine as if they're just ordering a gin and tonic. Um, and, you know, anyway, that's my little... Yeah, and I mean, I think the the other impact is, um, you know, we're, we're down here at the ploughing, and the, the impact of of just um, just the impact of the internet in general on journalism, but on farming and everything, it's it's everywhere to see. Um, all across across here, you can you can see that that the, the digital world has has had an impact in every area, and that's also true of drug dealing. Um, in particular, I think in there was a statistic there that. That um, and I think it was said by one of a senior guard was said it's easier to order um, cocaine uh, to your house than it is to order a pizza in many parts of Ireland. That you will get people on social media, you can connect with them, they can drop, they can literally drop drugs to your house. Where if you had to go and order a pizza, it would be a lot more complicated. And that's that's a reality of of also the, the, the how the drugs trade works. That is that it has been transformed, you know. Yeah. Um, and that it makes it easier to spread it, where before people did literally have to stand in, in the in the alleyway and and and. But you remember we did it. We went online no, one day selling, in the no, office. Now what we did was we went online, <laughs> and he's a bit magical with the Google, but he managed to within I'd say two minutes found a number. Uh, so we went and bought a burner phone. We rang the number and we ordered a hundred euro worth of coke or something. Um, and we were a bit worried, like, was the dealer actually going to come and leave it into the independent building on Talbot Street with the big newspaper signs over it? Uh, so we sort of gave an address a couple of doors down. Actually, we didn't need to worry. Your man was there within about 50 minutes, handed over the bag, we handed over the money. Of course, it's illegal to buy cocaine, so uh, we didn't really quite know, was it that? 
went into the bathroom and tested it, and sure enough, it was the real thing. And literally, we had that deal done in an hour. It's like ordering your lunch. Yeah, so, I mean, this, this, is also, uh, uh, this, this also makes the trade harder to crack down on. But I think, I think the, 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 you know, social media has, has had an impact in, in rural Ireland as well. What do you think is the main, you know, issue for people living in rural Ireland when it comes to crime and, and looking after the property? Well, I think that the uh, people going around committing these crimes to old people is an absolute disgrace. And the guards are not doing anything what they should be doing to stop that crime. It doesn't take rocket science to know what's going on. We know all about it and we could help in a big way, but the guards have to do their bit too. And what do you think, what do you think will help to, you know, alleviate the fear? I feel, I'm getting a lot of sense of fear from other people I've spoken to today. Yeah. Um, a lot of fear in the elderly community, um, people that are living out, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, How, what do you think that can be done for them? I think there has to be uh, more or less again like a neighbourhood watch and keep an eye on all your close neighbours that's living on their own but it's up to everybody to help each other out in, in that line of it, like you know what I mean and uh, old people are so vulnerable, do you know what I mean it's not right that they should be left out of the equation, do you know we were actually going to, um, if you're interested, open this discussion a little bit to the floor if anybody wants to ask a question if anyone's not too nervous to ask a question about cocaine. Oh, yeah. Do you think, as we're going into another recession, more than likely that this will have an impact on the purchase of cocaine and drugs? A negative one, you mean? Yeah. No, unfortunately. It won't really, because very interesting time period we've just been through, which was COVID and lockdowns, and there was a belief at the beginning of that that the demand for cocaine would reduce because there was no clubs open. But the fact of the matter is that the demand reduced slightly for a small little while and then went back up because people are taking it at home in the same way they're drinking wine. And we probably all drank too much wine. They always say about cocaine and that there, there's no end to demand. The demand is endless. The only trouble is the supply. Can people supply enough? Um, but, you know, drugs have proved to be recession-proof, really. Yeah. And it, it, that's what they, they do say in, in America, that the recession just doesn't hit the drugs trade. Um, but I suppose that's the nature of addiction, that, that people who have addictions will continue under yeah. all conditions, you know? All right. Well, look, we leave it there. So go enjoy the rest of the day here. I'm going to go around and have a little look as a first-timer here. Don my welly boots, maybe. So thank you very much for myself and Niall, and I hope you tune in to Crime World. We'll broadcast this on Saturday. Thanks very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.